our brain is actually trained to keep us safe. You know, so it will take in all this stimulus and, and we'll try to make sense of it. And if it doesn't look familiar to us, then we might just close it off like, oh, too scary. We can override that. This is your Badass Journey podcast. I am Kareen Walsh, serial entrepreneur, executive leadership coach, and author of the Be a Badass Six Tools to Uplevel Your Life. Each week, I will bring you a guest or a thought that will help you integrate who you really are with what you do. I call that living a badass life. Are you with me? Let's go. Hi, welcome everybody to your Badass Journey podcast. This is Karine Walsh and I am so excited to share my great friend, Karen Huller with you. Karen is an author of Laser Sharp Career Focused, Pinpoint Your Purpose and Passion in 30 Days, which is a amazing link you guys have to check out. It's in the show notes and is the founder of Epic Careering, a corporate consulting and career management firm specializing in executive branding and conscious culture, as well as the founder of Jomo Rising LLC, a workflow gamification company that turns work into productive play. I Cannot tell you how awesome it is to find such a like-minded individual like Karen. I mean, this conversation that we share with you, we we touch on different topics that I hope you will enjoy and really bring up things like, you know, the layoff process and the sensitivities around it or lately the insensitivities around it and how complicated it can become, but also the norm and how to navigate through that. Uh, you know, she has 20 years of professional experience building, you know, from recruitment to coaching to consulting herself. She has an amazing blog that you can go check out her latest thoughts and how she helps others navigate through transformation and change in their career life. She's also a keynote speaker and a certified professional resume writer. She has uh, also a certified career transition consultant and a clinical hypnotherapist, which is amazing because we talk, we talk about that too, the value of how using that tool as a coach and helping her clients really break through mindset issues that um, can this simple practice put in place once she's able to connect with her clients can help them really achieve what they're looking to go after. So I'm not going to keep figuring out how best to describe Karen. You'll see it if you are watching this on YouTube or obviously you'll hear it here in a minute on the podcast, but She truly is one of those amazing people that you want in your network that will help you leverage that career life that you're looking for. So I'm very excited to share her badass journey with you. And I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's chat on your Badass Journey podcast. I have Karen Huller, one of my partners in crime, to be honest. She and I um, met in our mastermind group and have collaborated on a few things since. And of course, I had to have her on my podcast. And for those of you watching on the YouTube channel, I mean, she is like an epic badass. Um, She manages her epic careering consulting and coaching practice. And honestly, I'm going to have her introduce herself and tell you a little bit about her journey. But welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Kareen. I always love collaborating with you. So I'm happy to be your guest. Yeah. And um, for those of you who don't know us, we tend to crack each other up a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So expect some good laughs as we we, um, chatted up today. But Karen, as we get started, I would love for you to just share with our listeners and our viewers, like what is it that has gotten to you to where you are today? And also explain, you know, your current focus on how you bring your best out into the world and and basically help so many people along the way. So it'd be great for you to just share what it is that you do and how you got here. How far back should I go? Let's just say that if you knew me in second grade, you wouldn't probably recognize me emotionally. And uh, my parents went through a, a divorce. It was painful. It hurt. I was very shy. 
didn't really have a lot of expectations for the future, but I always had a lot of hopes and dreams. I always really looked forward to the future and what it could bring kind of as an escapism to what I was going through. I was like, things can't always be this bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really hung on to the future hope of who I would become. And I continually tested myself. I tested myself emotionally. I tested myself physically. I just wanted to see what I was made of all the time. And that led me to this excellent, totally enthralling journey of what are humans capable of, right? What are they capable of in their families? What are they capable of at work? And work was an area of my life where I didn't have a lot of hopes for the future. I had that dream like, Maybe I'd marry a new kid on the block or, you know, <laughs> or, or maybe I'd be discovered, <laughs> you know, I don't even, I, maybe I had a dream at some point that I'd become an entrepreneur, but it seemed kind of far-fetched at the moment. Um, and maybe I became an entrepreneur because I wanted to prove to myself that I could be an entrepreneur. Just like I wanted to prove to myself that I could make a cheerleading squad. And, to, and I tried until I did. <laughs> it's just something I had to know that I was capable of doing. And, and work was an area where I think if I had had that dream of entrepreneurialism and if that would have been a viable opportunity for me from my perspective as a young kid, then I would have been a lot more excited about the future. But my parents came home from work pretty miserable, you know, um, separately, obviously. Like I said, they were divorced. But, you know, my dad worked for a big company. And um, in, when I was in ninth grade, that company forced him into early retirement. He had the house. He kept the house that I grew up in. And that was important for him to, ha- to give to me. But I couldn't last through my high school days yeah. if he was forced into early retirement. And then my mom, she had to find a way to support herself as a single mom. And she wound up working for a company first part-time and then full-time. That company was a very small family-owned business that grew to many, many locations through her tenure. But it seemed like she didn't reap the benefits of her loyalty to them, for her hard work for them. She came home with a lot of stories about drama and unfairness. And that's what I got. Mm-hmm. about corporate jobs. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. my example. And so I didn't really think that I'd become anything corporate. I went to school. First, my, my first operations were to be a psychologist because I was you know, a friend that people were always like, I can talk to you, you understand. And maybe that was because I went through some tough times and I yeah. was able to relate to them. And then that changed to, um, to broadcasting and journalism. I wanted to kind of bring the world news that was going to be useful and informative And then I studied media in school and learned all about Chomsky. And then journalism tended to be something that I saw more as a way of controlling information instead of sharing information. And that turned me off to broadcasting. So I was like, I'm just going to do something fun. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to do something fun. I'm going to do the fun side of radio or broadcasting or television. And my dreams kind of flipped. I was like, I'm going to be the female Howard Stern. I'm going to be like the shop jock getting on the airwaves, you know, <laughs> that's not really me either. You know? <laughs> I mean, I like to have fun and radio was a really fun career, um, but it wound up being difficult to pay bills yeah. and it wound up being a job where um, you had to put in some really tough hours. I had to temp at the same time. And thankfully I did. Thankfully I had to temp. Thankfully I found recruiting. I had a temporary job in a recruiting office at a um, non-casino resort in Atlantic city while I was working in radio. And I was like, this, this like, wow, you know, like I can actually help people get better jobs. That's amazing. You know, I can help kids who watch their families come home. I can help their parents come home happier so that they can engage more and have more fun with their kids and be able to afford more. And just the lifestyle that's possible when you have a job that fulfills you. That was my mission. That was what I took on. And so recruiting was something that I took on as well. And I did that for several years. And uh, I thought it was fulfilling most of the time. But I also found that I had my own very difficult transition after 9-11. And that difficult transition was um, me, a very junior recruiter, trying to find a recruiting job in a world where there were no jobs. I had to pivot. I, I fell in love with coaching. Coaching was something that my boss at my firm thought she might do. Instead of recruiting while jobs weren't coming in. So I was the research analyst. That's what I did. I went out and I researched the industry of coaching. And so now I was like, wow, not only can I help people perform better in their jobs, but I can help people, you know, find new jobs and and tell more people yes. But I was a little bit green, Mm -hmm. need a lot more experience and need a lot more interface with employers. Um, I had to take a couple steps back in my transition before I could get back on track. So I can really relate to people who 
in order to survive, in order to pay bills, in order to you know feed your family, you have to make sacrifices to your dreams. That's a reality for some people. You know, you have to do that. But thankfully, I had my eye on the prize. Yeah. And I just kept, you know, kept managing my way back into into the track that I wanted, which I which I did finally get back on track with. And I I did really love recruiting. The things that I loved most about recruiting was learning from the professionals that I that I spent time on the phone interviewing and screening and learning from the employers what it was that would it would take for candidates to be the competitor, to be the finalist, to be the one that gets the offer. Mm-hmm. I loved all that. And uh, eventually I had this entrepreneurial bug tapping my shoulder telling me I needed to pass this on in a much more powerful way. And uh, 12 years ago in June, I transitioned into coaching from recruiting. And here's where I've been. And now it's more about... Now I've been spending time on the phone with these awesome, brilliant, successful people, learning from them how they navigated the corporate journey, how they learned how to become better leaders and better managers. And now I have this tremendous library of best practices that they have shown and taught to me. And now I'm showing that to other corporations as well. Hey, you know, I think it's, it's beautiful because a lot of us feel like we have to go through our career life and our journey alone. And what I know you provide, because I've, I've been on the receiving end of it, but also um, I see you in action on consistency in helping other people know that there's an ear out there ready to listen. There are tactics, you know, to learn, to take advantage and, and kind of up level, whether it's career life, entrepreneurial life, even home life. Uh, and you're continuously, you know, gathering additional skill sets, you know, in order to make it the best for them. And, and, and it's really cool to see an action. I love doing it myself in my practice, but I'm curious too, because I know you just accomplished a more recent certification and you've incorporated hypnosis into your practice and coming from a place of empathy and understanding that, you know, led you to where you are in your career, you know, seeing what you don't really want to do based on your parents' story, right? And then realizing for yourself as you navigated through different obstacles, as well as, you know, outgrowing certain roles, you know, to realize, okay, something next, what else next? How has the hypnosis piece come into your practice? Because I'm super curious. I think it's a great skill to have, but also I know, you know, our listeners would benefit from understanding how that could benefit them as well. There's a lot that I have to explain sometimes about hypnosis because there are preconceived notions. Um, you know, I was even, uh, wrote, I wrote a blog today remembering Office Space, mm-hmm. that movie, you know, and I had forgotten actually that the way that the main character got to be in a place of not caring anymore was, was hypnosis. And that's because his, his practitioner died during therapy. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. So I looked that's that up hilarious. <laughs> But that's like one instance of where hypnosis was in a movie and then people are going to you know, get preconceived notions about it. But hypnosis right. is actually something that I, I started to learn about maybe eight years ago. Well, it was definitely past eight years ago. I used it eight years ago. But I started to, in this, in this world where you're trying to figure out how humans can optimize their performance and how they can go from A to B in the fastest, easiest possible way because life happens willpower is sometimes very fallible, you know, so not everybody responds to tough love, you know, just get up and do it. You know, yeah. that's what I found with my clients. I had to find other tools that were going to work. And, um, hypnosis was just something that made a lot of sense after I really understood the science behind it. After I understood how the subconscious works, how its role in habits, it, it can be helpful for you or it can completely inhibit you. Mm-hmm. So when you understand more about how the brain works and how you can get it on your side to effectuating change much faster in the way you do things and the way you think and the way you behave and the way you respond and how much more that can accelerate you and how much easier you can make it for people, then it was something that I had to... It was like a, I was compelled to add it to my practice. Like, why wouldn't I add this amazing tool to my practice? So it takes some education sometimes. And of course, it takes building trust and rapport. Because you know, there's that's, that word hack. You know, it's funny that yeah. word hack because to me it's like a shortcut. You know, yeah. it's like the best possible shortcut. I'm a big fan of the word hack. Yeah. But then who was it? Tanya in our group. She was like, "Oh, the word hack." Oh, no, it was Keisha. She was like, "The word hack. It sounds like invasive." And I was like, "Oh yeah." You know, yeah. like people yeah. don't necessarily want their brains hacked. <laughs> you know, it sounds yeah. kind of 
especially yeah, in this world of data hacking and, you know. Yeah. yeah, it has a negative connotation to it. It does. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of education that, that has to be done around it generally in the field. Um, and neuroscience is really making a lot of more headway yeah. mm-hmm. in that. The fact that now that we know our brains are plastic, we can totally develop parts of our brain that have been underdeveloped or even damaged. You know, the things that we now know about the brain, which were completely non-existent when I took psychology in college. Like that right. wasn't, you know, now neuroscience is its own field, its own class and its own even specializations underneath neuroscience. So it's an amazing field. And I, I, I expect eventually in the future, I'll get some kind of graduate degree. Where to go with it? I have no idea because there's just so much I want to learn and where do I delve deeper? But the fact that I can practice this now with my clients is amazing. So it's really about people who realize that you know you try. There's habits that you have to adopt if you want to form good practices around success. Yeah. There are habits you have to break if you realize that after trying and trying and trying, something keeps interfering. So the coaching is where we identify what that is. What is it that keeps interfering with your ability to go from point A to point B? And then we, can, we might identify several things, usually, right? Layers of things that can be at work in why you haven't gone from point A to B. Some of it can be fear. All of these things can be addressed through hypnosis. And it's, you know, so it's an amazing field. The hypnosis is about a single focus. So we have to do things one thing at a time. And we'd also have to make sure that we do it in an environment where it's completely holistic and helpful for you. For instance, if you wanted to, you know, pain. Pain is something that inhibits people from living the life that they want. It inhibits people at work. It inhibits people at play. It inhibits people with their family. That's something that can be managed through hypnosis. But if a bodybuilder wants to have hypnosis for pain management and then he can't feel the work that he's doing or she's doing, then that can cause tissue damage. So everything has to be evaluated in in a big picture type of way and in fine detail and make sure that it's addressed. So that's something there. There are single sessions that I can provide for hypnosis, but the hypnosis that I can provide is most powerful and transformative when I can have that coaching relationship with them and really make sure that we are comprehensively treating the person. Right. And it, it, I think also, I mean, it's such an amazing tool when you see the, the habit in, in your client that is detrimental to them or is an obstacle for them to move forward. It, it's like one of the tools in your toolbox. You can pull up and just say, hey, would you like to try something different to change that? Do you want to see a change? Because a lot of the times too, I mean, in our coaching stance, right? We, we, we listen, we perceive, we ask, you know, we get, go deeper and build that trust, but then it's also how far are they willing to go and, and realizing like, what is that stretch zone? And I, and I love the practice of hypnosis in that shift, you know, like that quick shift, that practical change, you know, because it's something that if you really want to see that happen faster, you know, you can pinpoint that arena that is paining you and figure out what the right practice is. And so I think that's cool that you've incorporated that into your work because I'm sure it's helping your clients propel further when they're ready. You know, I love that you talked about the readiness first (laughs) before, before diving in. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it is important. And I also think, um, what, as you were talking, I was like, you know, it's really mindset management is, is a lot of where, um, the neuroscience and, you know, NLP has been used for years by like mega coaches, you know, to ensure that like, there's a change in brainwave behavior that is needed in order to achieve the life that you truly dream of, you know, whether it's letting go of some pain story, holding you back or a failure or whatever, how, you know, whatever that is and pushing forward, they use NLP all the time for that. And, and that's, you know, neuroscience at its best for the masses. Um, but it's really cool that you have incorporated that into your practice. Uh, another skill I know you have, which you've shared with me is where you feel like you have the most badass moments is on stage. So tell me a little bit about in your, in your practice, in your life, you know, you have a lot of different types of stage presence. (laughs) And I would love to share that with folks because I think it's also important um, to understand how those skills that you've honed in on there have also helped you in your life. 
you know, and, and showing up yeah. in your life. There's so much that I've learned from singing on stage, just even the things that I had to get over and my way of thinking and my way of thinking of myself to be the person who would be on stage singing to people, to be the person who has a band, you know? So when I, I always love to sing. I love to sing. My mom was a singer. It's definitely something that runs in my family. My kids can sing. Uh, I love music. And again, it was something that I would escape to very frequently in my youth. But it wasn't necessarily something I was encouraged to pursue from a career perspective. It didn't seem like a stable career opportunity, you know, which is, is valid. Not many people make it as a singer. But yeah. um, you know, nowadays, I would tell you, that's what you want to do. There's a way. You know? and, and now I'm friends with, with musicians who get paid very well. That's mm-hmm. how they afford their lifestyle by mm-hmm. performing music. You know, those very inspiring stories were something that I would kind of cling to. And then there was a time when I was like, all right, I'm not going to make it as a singer, or maybe I don't want to make it as a singer, but I definitely love to sing. And it's, it's a part of me that I can't hide or inhibit anymore. It's something that I need to get out. It was like one of those hurdles I had to get over. I had to test yeah. myself. I had to be like, can I be the person who sings on stage? And then furthermore, if I'm the person who sings on stage, how connected can I be with my audience? What kind of reaction? How far can I bring them into the music with me? And those were the moments. And I was like, mm. wow, you know, like this crowd is, they're like eyes closed, swaying, singing back at you. I mean, it's an amazing experience. I wish everybody could experience that because, you know, speaking is great. And I definitely have those moments where you can see light bulbs go off and those are some of the mm. most fulfilling parts of speaking to an audience. But music is like an emulsifier. and It's just something that connects you in a way that hardly any other thing on this earth can. Connecting with an audience is certainly something that I learned from performance. And that came from gradually getting out of my shell and surrendering, just surrendering to the moment, letting the music overtake me. And I feel like some of the best speakers that I've seen, they just intuitively allow the wisdom to come through them like a channel. There's a channel for whatever it is that, they're met, you know, that the audience needs in the moment. Sure, you as a speaker, you want to prepare. <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. You want to <laughs> have a good idea of what you're going to say. But these speakers are the ones that tell that person exactly what they needed to hear at the exact right moment because they're just allowing. So that, that enablement of just allowing a message to come through you like a channel was another thing. And, and that again, enhances a connection that you might have with an audience and the surrendering and just, you know, having fun. Like I, I learned that if I was up there and I was nervous, the best way to get over the nerves was just to like bounce around, dance, you know, be a little silly, get out, you know, shake it out, <laughs> yeah, yeah. get it all out. And now I teach, I teach students how to pitch to investors. So that's obviously something I pass on to them as well. And of course I, I teach corporate professionals how to interview. And, and there's a lot of things about performance that come into play there. But now it's like, how do I take this powerful tool and, and incorporate it into, into coaching, into, into the message? How do I use it to, again, emulsify and reinforce the, the things that are most important that people walk away with? Yeah, I think it's beautiful. It's also a connection to self, right? Like when you're able to express yourself in a surrendered state, you know, there's this amazing, I call it the divine connection that you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. It is divine because you have it with yourself first. And truly that's the only thing you control in this world, (laughs) in my opinion. Yeah. how you think about yourself, the stories you tell yourself, how you show up in the world, you know, so to put yourself on a platform where you're doing it in front of many uh, and still feeling so whole because that is your divine connection, right? With your skill and your power. Yeah. Uh, and, and then finding ways, like you said, to harness it so that you can help as many people as possible feel that always. Right. right. Like that's truly the, the baseline of both our practices. It's like, yep. you know, how can I help you get to the truth of you yeah. so that we can see all of it and have you accept who that is and, you know, and allow, yeah, and allow <laughs> that divine energy to like flow through you, you yeah. know, no matter what circumstances stance, right? Like, uh, and it's a beautiful right. thing. And I love that that's your mission and, you know, to do it on a larger scale and continue that practice because it's so needed. You know, we, we can easily cower and, and you had those prime examples young in your life with your parents 
doing the best they can in the systems that they chose to play within. But you saw a disconnect, right? You, like you saw something that you wanted better for for yourself, and then that was your fuel. It <laughs> was. Keep- to keep finding it. And it's also what you do with your kids, you know, and, and, and trying to emulate that for them so that they can grow up into their divine power as well and, and express that, which is just so, it's just beautiful. And, and it's so needed, you know, it's so needed. Let us know a little bit now about the type of clients you work with and who you're looking to attract in to your practice or connect with or partner with just so, so folks get an understanding of taking all your greatness, you know, and, and how they can potentially connect with or um, learn from all that you have to offer. In terms of the, the, the corporate side, what I want to pass on to corporations, there's a lot of little mini practices that I can help them because there's this, we all have the complaint of limited time. You know, and if a corporation is looking at milestones and goals they have to make, and then they're looking at their talent, it can be a stretch to be like, can we fit anything else in? You know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of little mini things that we can do. So basically, I want to talk to companies who have those time constraints. Perhaps there's a merger coming up, or a post acquisition, or there's changes going about, or they're growing at a highly high, very high rate, and everybody's a little bit stretched. You know, they can incorporate little mini practices like less than three minutes, multiple things that they can do at work and at home that don't cost the company any money, but only create more time so that they can get more done in the time that they have. Yeah. So companies who really want to, they want their company to be human powered forces of positive change. Like they're up to something big they know that they have these resources to do it and how can we maximize these resources to accelerate this path because the world needs what we have to offer. Yeah. Those are the companies that I'm most excited to help expand in this way. On the individual side, of course, there's the leaders themselves. So there's definitely so many things that I've, again, learned from my clients in terms of leadership, learned from my own experience leading teams of, of people that have worked for me around the communication that's necessary and just the, the emotional place you come from when you communicate. So emotional mm-hmm. t- intelligence training, it is emotional intelligence training. It's also mindfulness training, but furthermore, I could, I would call it compassionate training because the difference is that in mindfulness, you, you're aware, you're increasing your awareness, emotional intelligence, you're becoming aware of the other person. And then in compassion, you're, you're taking all that information and you're acting upon it. Yeah. So so really, it's compassion training. It's how do you take really hard and difficult situations and turn them into positive experiences for both people so that there's optimal outcomes for everybody involved. So there's that one-on-one coaching and then coaching yeah. other um, managers and leaders to do that for their staff. And then there's the um, coaching that I will continue to do because it enables me to, again, stay in tune with the people who are looking to in- level up their career, as you would call it. So people who are expanding their level of fulfillment, they don't know what that level of fulfillment looks like. They want an idea of what the job landscape looks like. Where can I take this experience? Where can I expand my contribution? How can I make a larger impact? What environments should I go toward that will enable me to make that impact? How do I identify this employer? How do I pursue this employer in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort for the optimal outcome, which would be an offer of employment? (laughs) <laughs> for yeah. that company to make an expanded impact. I mean, I think it's great because it, it it spans on the macro level all the way down to the individual level. And what comes to mind as you were sharing, you know, the the connections you hope to make and the clients you hope to have impact with. I think about where we are these days economically and, you know, the preparation for, or I should say, there's a consistent habit right now in the workspace of like massive layoffs on mm-hmm. an annual basis for large companies. Mm-hmm. And it's really, to, in my opinion, decreases the value of that human factor in the workplace. It also decreases morale. It affects you know, the ability to, to find the strengths across the team in yeah. order to potentially break through the downturn market, you know, or uh, figure out how to leverage who you have on staff mm-hmm. before you even think about the layoff practices. I, I personally think it, 
like what I see and witness. And I've helped a lot of my clients have had to transition through that phase of life where they gave it their all and now they've been let go. So what do they do next? How do they, how do they even navigate that rejection, you know, for all their work? And so I do think there's also a place to play in that arena, you know, in, Mm -hmm. in helping leaders and existing companies put a pause on before we cut the numbers because of a financial obligation. How can we maximize who we have in staff or in play today and increase performance? Yeah. You know, and um, so I'm curious what your thoughts are in, in that arena. And if, if that also is an area that you've played in or interested in playing in, because I, I think there's going to turn it to be a high demand soon (laughs) for that kind of help. Absolutely. So being somebody who survived a workforce reduction and then also was impacted by a workforce reduction, (laughs) it's kind of no wonder why I eventually became an entrepreneur. (laughs) You You can't trust Um, anything anymore. (laughs) No, no, you can't. I mean, job security has to come from you. It has to be something that you create by learning how to be the the one accountable for your own career growth and management, knowing where you're going at all times in case of anything happening, always, always checking in, making it a habit. Mm-hmm. Making it a habit to take the time to think about where you're going so that if something does happen, you're like, okay, next step. Here we go. Right. Um, and if you're not there, it's okay to have the emotions around what happens to you. It's a yeah. natural process. You know, sometimes those emotions are the drivers that enable you to find the next step. So I just finished and posted on my website part three of a, a blog that started obviously three weeks ago. Because Elon Musk had that sabotage in Tesla. He had the employee who was uh, jilted because he wasn't promoted and he wanted to give away some data. And, you know, there was that rocket that blew up for SpaceX and was, you know, was that sabotage too? We don't know. A lot of people, and he recognizes he's disrupting an industry. There's a lot of people that would like to see him fail and could potentially set him up. So to see, to find it from the inside. You know, so thankfully we have this thing called Glassdoor and you can go and you can see how are the employees rating this, this company. And I saw also that his production of the, uh, I forget the model number, but they have to up it by like five to up to 5,000 mm. units or by 5,000 times. And in order to do that, they also are not, not in the production unit, but they're, they're laying off a percentage of their workforce at the same time. And I just, I had to like analyze this. I had to synthesize this. So in looking at the Glassdoor reviews and just finding out, you know, I already knew that it was a, it was a highly demanding job to work for any of his organizations. He has some expectations of hours and input that are probably quite unrealistic for anybody who wants to last in this company. But once you're there, you know, you're highly recruitable. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, Sometimes but just, you know, you know is he that? Right, right. <laughs> you know, like you're recruiting people and then you're working them like really hard. But also apparently it, it was interesting to see that some of the feedback from these employees were there's no process, there's a lack of process, there's a lack of efficiency. And so I wondered if there had been more systems in place to create efficiency, mm-hmm. number one, would you have to over overstretch your workforce? Right. Number two, would you have to lay off your workforce? You know, what, where, I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I, want, I want some data. I want to look at the data. I want to look at the costs. I want to say, if, if you invest money in these systems or in your workforce or in talent development or in any of that versus, you know, and then what you'll get out of your workforce when you do that yeah. versus now we have to make numbers. You know, the investors are nervous. We're not going to, we're not going to make it. You know, we have to, we have to cut some some money over here so that the investors are happy. And, it, and for me, I'm like, if I was an investor, what I'd want is the long-term sustainability of this company and how sustainable... Right. You might meet your deadline. You might yeah. make those 5,000, but you know what's going to happen after that? I mean, Tesla is obviously a great innovative type of company and Elon Musk is an innovator and a pioneer and very admirable. And I have nothing against him personally, of course, but yeah. he's got some competition. He's got mm-hmm. competition. Uh, so... You know, he's not like the, uh, he doesn't have a corner on the market yet that he can really afford to make these decisions. So that's a specific case study that I'm, I'm watching very carefully. I'll be, I, I don't think that Elon Musk is going to go anywhere no. per se, but I believe in what he's doing. Yeah. 
and I'd like to see him succeed. So it's kind of like, hey, Elon Musk, if you're listening, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's see what we can do here. <laughs> you know? Well, it's also, you know, it's like, it's not a one-man show too. Like even, right. the, I think there's also that misconception too. I mean, there's a whole organization behind the name and the man, right? And and it's assessing how uh, is empowerment flowing through to the experts that are on staff in order to build that transparency, build the communication, build the process in or, you know, and make it the thriving company that it can be. And this is across any company, right? Yeah, like, and, true. and, you know, if you think about like financial, financial institutions, like the old school institutions that have been around a long time and you have like disruption happening mm-hmm. in different competitive markets, but those practices are still in place. And it's not evolving fast enough with how we are. And they do these broad strokes of action that dis- disrupts the actual system, the value system of the company. You know, when, yeah. I, when I coach my, my clients that are going through a transition of a layoff that shocked them or they, or they're, they know layoffs are coming and they want to prepare, you know, they're, they're taking that advantage of like, am I okay? Should I am I going to sink with it or am I going to like jump ship and go somewhere else? Right. Like there's so many different scenarios. You have to think about how the system is serving you. Mm -hmm. And that also, is it aligned with your value system of how you want to operate? Because in this market now of like entrepreneurial ship, is rising from a, from in a certain market, I would say, you know, like that online entrepreneur that's happening. Right. Yeah. And then you have startups. Although I did just see an article about startups, um, decreasing, like there's not as many startups happening lately, uh, as there have been. So there's just this interesting dynamic occurring. And to me, it's all about the system that people choose to be a part of or what they're creating to include people in. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just a lot of exclusion when the layering becomes super thick from, from the chief suite, you know, the C-suite level down to the everyday delivery teams, right? That, that there, there needs to be better practices put in place there for communication, for understanding limitations, but also the stretch of each individual, right? Yeah. And um, when I think about your platform and all that you offer and how communication is that baseline, I feel it's like so needed for companies to to almost wake up and bring in these services before you do anything drastic to just make sure that yes that's the right decision like you tried everything right right Feel it's not you tried everything yeah yeah like you tried you know because I've been on I've I've worked at companies where I've had to be the one laying people off and it was horrible like horrible to be put in the place that it's your job to do it even though they were stellar doing everything we asked of them, but now the economic status of the company shifted. And I, I personally then had to go through my own detox after that to like mm-hmm. shift the energy of who I had to become mm-hmm. to do those hard actions. And I don't think we create enough space for people to dialogue on that either. No. You know, like those who have had to be the ones to execute on a plan that they had zero alignment with but it was to ch- save their job, then how are they showing up now and performing in their daily tasks after they've been forced to do that? Yeah, there's a lot of emotional content to all of these changes on both sides that isn't dialogued about enough. Right. And if, and if it were, you know, I, I, there's, it's, I guess I'm hoping, because I'm seeing it more, but maybe I'm just attracting it more too, um, that there's an evolution happening. That, Mm. you know, I think we can all acknowledge now that even at work, we're human beings. Even at work, we have feelings. Even at work, we are impacted by decisions. We are not robots. We will have opinions about things. We will have emotions about things. And while there's obviously appropriate and inappropriate ways to express those emotions at work, sometimes it's like, well, where is the appropriate way to express this? You know, mm-hmm. how, how do I go about that? So a lot yeah. of people just don't, they don't express it. They might go to the bar after work and, and talk to somebody about it. Is that the helpful way you want them to express it? You know, do they, do you right. want them to come home and be angry and be upset? Like that's, that's the vision of my past that I see. I see, you know, parents coming home, disgruntled, upset, you know, not necessarily being great moods. We'd like to think that these parents are going home and be like, Oh, thank God I have this family. But if they're like, 
shoot, I don't, I'm not feeling so great about my job, but I love my family. So I guess I got to keep this job. And, you know, there's, there has to be a healthy way to express these emotions and get them out without any kind of fear of retribution for it as well. Right. Yeah. And, and the navigation of your truth in each circumstance, right? Because right. I think that's where the masking has had to come in, you know, in order to so-called achieve in an arena that they have their, their way to play the game. And if you jump in and play the game that way, you should be rewarded, right? That that is what's being challenged now, I think. And, you know, and, and for those of you who are listening or watching and you're, you're not sure how to even start that dialogue, like reach out to us because that's, that's literally what Karen and I are, are all about. You know, we want to create that safe space to allow you to feel what you need to feel in order to then navigate what that next step could be. For you as an individual owner of a company, C-suite level, you know, posturing leader that's just tired <laughs> because you've been posturing for so long, you know, there is an avenue you can take to shift it with the right support. And, and I think it's important to put that out there because yes. it's so needed. It's so needed. So I had a client recently, I mean, this happens all the time, but you know, he's working for a company. He likes his company for the most part. He likes what they're doing. He likes what they're up to, but you know, they have these conditions right now that are non-conducive to what they're up against. And, and they have some practices that, you know, don't make a lot of sense. So it's like, well, do you want me to work with your company <laughs> mm -hmm. on creating better practices? Cause you like it and you'd really rather stay, you know, but unfortunately he was like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm going to leave because <laughs> it's yeah. just too stressful to deal with. So right. this company is going to lose out on this talent and, and I'm sure that he's going to bring people with him too. Like sure. that's, a part of loss that, you know, maybe you don't, you realize there might be some fallout, but you know, there's going to be additional fallout too. Once, once talent walks out the door, it often takes talent, not just, you know, knowledge, but other people with it. Yeah. And then the learning curve for whoever new has to step in or the less qualified person that gets put in that role, forced to play that role because no one thought about what it would be like if that person was no longer there. You know, yeah. there, there's, so many tactics in this space that just, it's all about that consciousness. You know, it's just, if, yeah. if, if consciousness was dialed up and a, a notch or two, you know, for everybody across an, uh, a company, a firm, et cetera, and there was the ability to dialogue on that and say, well, what are you aware of now? Where, where do you think we're failing? Where do you mm -hmm. think we're, you know, excelling at? Who do you think could step into this versus the other thing that's also happening is always looking outside. Like you're yeah. always either looking to outside talent, experts in the field, and um, as opposed to grooming and growing who you have committed to you already. Yeah. Like it's a, that's a slam dunk to me. Right. <laughs> you right. Know, go focus on the people who said yes to being employed by, by you and like make them the experts. You know, that investment ends up being so much lower. You know? Plus, that's, uh, that's what great talent wants to do. That naturally, yeah, as humans, generally, we want to grow, we want to expand, we want to keep learning, we want to find new ways to do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, you brought up consciousness, and there's another realm of consciousness in, in corporations that I've been very fascinated about lately. And it's so on the consumer side, conscious yeah. capitalism. It's people want to put their money into companies that they know are making decisions in consideration of people and planet. Yes. Know, yes. Um, including their own people. <laughs> yeah. So Glassdoor yeah. is a great tool again, you know, yeah. for helping understand how is this company treating its people? Um, because people are, how it treats its people are a reflection of how it treats its customers. Yeah. It's, and, and it's great that the transparency is showing up to help people understand the systems that they would be, or the value system, as I call it, a mm -hmm. part of if they said yes. Yeah. you know, to being employed there if they were offered that or even just to go after it, you know, right. it, it's important because, uh, you know, back to the neuroscience topic, you know, that we, we spoke about earlier, it's like we get conformed to believe something because it's happening to us on a consistent basis, mm -hmm. right? So like we could literally be, you know, that drone that shows up in the workplace and do the same thing over the hamster in the wheel, as we call it, you know, whatever you want to say just the machine. For, for that carrot in front of us, yeah. which is generally the paycheck, right? And to disrupt that 
you know, in your mind first to say, hey, what else? Is there something else? I know I have this divine connection that's not being served yet. What does that look like? You know, giving yourself the space to manifest it. Even, right. and, and a lot of times people think they have to, they do have to work out, like look outside of the environment they're in, but I guarantee they haven't exercised all options available mm-hmm. um, because they're not necessarily sure how to, but there could be, you know, a way to muscle yourself through in the environment you're in to gain another piece of you, you know, another attribute, skill, whatever, before even... Um, looking to jump ship, you know, and I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of great stories about that. People yeah. came to me looking to jump ship, but because of their branding, suddenly their LinkedIn profile is more informative and raises visibility for them in the organization. And now suddenly they're able to fit themselves into a role that they didn't even think was available to them. I have right. several stories like that. Yeah. And I also have people who, who, again, like you were saying, cogs in the machine, hamsters in the wheel, like so the process of branding somebody says, all right, what makes you unique and special? And if all you feel like you've been doing, and this is what a lot of resumes look like, right? Came yeah. in, this is, this is what I did. This is what I was what responsible I, I for. Told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they might not even realize, you know, what their role was actually contributing to the bigger picture of what the organization needed because they're in this little, they're vent, from their vantage point, you know, this is, I'm doing this monotonous job or I'm doing this yeah. job that's not necessarily valued by the organization maybe it's not valued by the organization or your boss or anything like that, but from uh, people, companies don't just create positions willy nilly. Like, Oh, we need a, you know, support analyst because we need one. They do it because the organization needs that. So seeing yourself and what you do as more of a contribution and seeing the bigger picture also, also enables you to see your navigation path a little bit greater. Like, well, I've been enjoying being able to contribute to this, or this is another place in the organization where, Maybe I'd feel like I would make a better contribution or I'd be more fulfilled by my contribution. Seeing, seeing that you're not just filling a position and checking off your job responsibilities. You right. are there to add value to the organization. And if you're there, then you do add value to the organization. Yeah. And I, and I also feel like there's the awareness of don't push for a promotion in a managerial line, you know, like you have the, the, the ladders you can climb, whether it's individual contributor or management time and time I get, again, I see the individual contributor who's like such an expert in their space and just wants to just do that work always. Yeah. Feel like they have to fall into management in order to get promoted and increase mm-hmm. their performance and, and pay that yeah. work. And that's not necessarily the case anymore either. Like mm-hmm. different tracks can be created if you have the yes. clarity on where you want to go. Right. And how you want to flex it. Because then if you know, like you said, your brand, what you're able to put out into the market, your value add, you can articulate it better. You know, yeah. that, that generally is the disconnect too. The lot you can, happening you can sell there. the possibilities better. Right. Because it can, now it's clear to you, you can come yeah. out of your mouth. You know, like so many times we just get stuck. It's all this conversation in our head or an yeah. email or a text and it's not coming out of your mouth. So people don't believe it. You yeah. know, like, if you are consistently talking about what it is you're trying to achieve, want, desire, learn, et cetera, it shows up, yep. you know, but so many people miss that mark too. And they feel like they have to fall again into a system that they think is the right way to advance. Right. But it's not necessarily yeah. the best track for them. And, and I, you know, that's the power in, in working with a coach, but also exposing yourself to different ways to communicate. And that's why I love about, you know, your, personal story and the fact that you're constantly trying to figure out what muscles to flex so that you can make it better for others who come to you, you know? Yeah. And so I just want to acknowledge you for that. Cause that's just awesome. And it's such a gift that you're able to discover all that you have to offer and put it out there. So thank you for sharing a piece of you with us today. And, um, before we close out, uh, our conversation, I'm sure it's one of many cause that's how we roll. Um, <laughs> the, the I, I'm curious how you define what a badass is. Badass to me means, you know, because if you, courage is not the absence of fear, it's acting in spite of fear. Mm. It's a human emotion. We'll have fear. And, and knowing things about our brain, our brain is actually trained to keep us safe. You know, so we'll take in all this stimulus and, and we'll try to make sense of it. And if it doesn't look familiar to us, then we might just close it off like, oh, too scary. We can override that. 
You know, we have the power to override that. So really think logically. There's you know the different parts of our brain. There's bottom up and top down. If you if you focus more on the top down operation of your brain, you can override that. Say, yeah, that's not really life threatening. <laughs> you know, if people don't like me, my life is not in danger. <laughs> you know, and if these people don't like me, so what? I'm really only focused on these people who get it and want to move forward with me. So being able to just kind of get over the fear, whatever that fear is, I use the example of fear of people not liking you, but it could be any fear. Just saying, you know what, what I have to offer is that important. It's that valuable. What I have to give to the world is going to be that helpful. And, and I owe it to these people over here to not let these people stop me. Mm. So that's, that's being a badass to me. That's awesome. I appreciate that definition. I, I love hearing how people translate it because it's, it, you know, it varies per experience, but yeah, it's taking that action past fear and seeing what happens, right? Like it, yeah. it's putting yourself out there. And I love that. Um, as people want to, obviously I know from this conversation has sparked a lot of different thoughts as people have been listening and watching. How should people connect with you? Where would you like them to find you, connect, message? What's your preference? Recently, I've been adding some free mini sessions on two of my Facebook pages. So that's where I'd really like people to go to get some, some value to sample what it would be like to work with me. So right. facebook.com slash unveil your brilliance is the epic careering site where I talk about career and corporate related content. And then facebook.com slash color hypnotherapy is where I do free live mini hypnotherapy sessions. Nice. nice. And then for those of you watching and listening to Karen and I have a joint group called Badass Careering. Um, and I'll put all of this in our show notes. So, so connect with us there too. reach out, you know, any transition you're going through. Uh, Karen is an amazing support. And again, thank you so much for joining today. This has been an awesome conversation. Again, one of many. But thanks yes. for joining me today, Karen. Thank you so much for having me, Karina. I love you. <laughs> I love you too. Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for joining me today. Before you move on to the next episode, please post a review or share this episode with someone you think would appreciate it. Your feedback and support mean everything to me. For more information, check out yourbadassjourney.com or kareenwalsh.com. I truly believe everyone is capable of living a badass life. Thank you for listening.